0: To the book of Jude, Lord willing, this evening we'll be studying verse 6 and 7. Starting there in Jude chapter 1, still with the same thought process as last week, uh, no withholdings from judgment. Starting verse 1, Jude... 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Mercy unto you, and peace, and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints." For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed them that believed not. In the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that as we close a thought process here um, unveiled to us in verses 5, 6, and 7, Lord, about those who turn away from truth, those who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, those who take truth and use it to their own selfish advantage, Lord, that judgment will not be withheld from them. Lord, while this is in these verses here, a fearful warning, not only to the church to contend for the faith, but it also shows the hearts of many men filled with deceit, with desire to bring themselves at the the center point instead of the grace of our Lord. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with us this evening as we open your word in Jesus name. Amen. We ended last week looking at the examples that Jude had given about these apostates and about the judgment in which they would be receiving. An understanding about an apostate, an apostate is someone who knows the truth, and yet they know the truth, and they turn it away. They've never been saved, yet they take the gospel of our Lord and turn it into something for their own faith. Instead of contending for the faith, they're contending against the faith. Now, I think if you was to have taken time and worked through from the Old Testament to the New Testament and taken as an example of all the people who were apostates from the Old to the New Testament, I doubt many of us would ever arrive at the example that Jude presents before us this evening. He presents here in verse number 6, and the fallen angels. This is an interesting thought that Jude would bring to the reality that fallen angels are examples of people who became apostates. Now, even more, Jude will take us even further into these fallen angels who are apostates. But yet, for the apostasy in which some of these fallen angels have already been involved in, Jude brings to light that God has already judged some of them. I know that verses 6 and 7 leads us to a place that is highly debated. At least the last week and a half of my life, I've lost many hours arguing with Daniel Pearson over this. But somebody has to not know the truth. So, thankfully, I'm in the pulpit tonight, and he has to listen to me. So, but there is a general consensus that you have to take away from verse 6. Regardless of where you fall on the fleshing out of this verse, there is a general consensus that you can see in the fact that says, And the angels which kept not their first estate left their own habitation. He hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. In that verse alone... You are led to the place that Jude is continually presenting us with these apostates. And Jude says there was an event in history, a time, a moment where these angels became apostates. And these specific angels that became apostates not will be judged, but have already been judged It says that they have been reserved, meaning they are currently kept, not only currently kept, but will continue to be kept in everlasting chains under darkness unto the day, unto the judgment of the great day. So he says, these specific group of people, these specific angels fell, and in the manner that they fell, they received judgment immediately. Their judgment was that they were reserved in darkness in chains until the great day of judgment, which we know is the great white throne judgment. This is their current state. This is where they are kept. Now, I want to bring us to the second phrase, I would say, the second statement here in verse number six. But the angels which kept not their first estate, we'll come back to that, but left their own habitation. This word habitation means that they left the place of their dwelling. This was mean that they left heaven. These angels that left heaven. Now, if we go back and search through the scriptures, Isaiah chapter 14 and verses 12 through 19 says, uh, it really covers this fall. It really helps us to understand that the angels fell from heaven. I'm not going to read verses 12 through 19. Read it in your own time, but I want to emphasize on the first part of verse number 12 because I want to draw a point from it. Isaiah says, "How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did which didst weaken the nation." Now, this fall was fast. It was immediate. It was the pride of his own heart that lifted him up. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, when the Lord accounts of his viewing, he tells them, I see Lucifer fall. And when he says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, he said, I beheld Satan as he fell down from heaven as lightning. The Lord said, I seen this. I seen him being cast out of heaven. But notice Isaiah's accusation in verse number 12. That Satan had fallen and he was cast out of heaven. And we know that when Satan was cast out of heaven, one third of the angels, the host of the angels, fell with him. And where did they fall to? They were on heaven. That mean, they left heaven and they had fallen to earth. Why? How do we know that? Where does Isaiah bring this about? He said they were cast out on earth and they did weaken the nation's we know this to be true even in our own life. The Old Testament and New Testament alike. We're warned by 1 Peter 5, 8 to be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. This one third of the angelic host was cast out of heaven as lightning upon the earth. And this is the place in which they do plague. When we read the New Testament, we read through the book of Mark. We studied about the Gadarean demoniac who was possessed with what the Bible called a legion of demons. And there they were cast out of this demoniac and they were sent into the swine and the swine did go over the hill. And, but what happened though? What is the reality is that the one third of the host is, was upon the earth. They plagued the earth. They brought torment upon the earth. That's where these fallen angels were then, and that is where these fallen angels are today. This is the place in where they do dwell. This is why he says what the earth is, what, where the prince and the power of the air works. This is where those who have swore allegiance to Satan dwell. Look again at our verse this evening. In the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the day, unto the judgment of the great day. Did you see that? Now we are caused to pause. We can no longer say that Jude is referencing those that have fallen from heaven. Because those that are fallen from heaven, where did they land? They landed on earth. They were plaguing those people on earth. They were causing trouble here upon earth. So those people whom Jude is referencing that are bound in everlasting darkness aren't the angels that fell from heaven and left their habitation because their habitation is now upon the earth. But yet Jude still brings to light. There is a specific group of angels that are bound in this darkness. And as I said, this is where generally everyone agrees that there was a specific group of angels that not only left their habitation, heaven, but they left their first estate and did something so wicked. And they did something so vile. It was more than just pride that had lifted them up. It was more than just following after Satan. They did something so wicked, so vile, that God invoked judgment upon them immediately. Even more, Luke says here, well, this first estate, let me say this, this first estate meaning, means really that they didn't keep their principality. If you reference in the book of Luke, Luke uses the same word to speak of magistrates. So what he says here is that these angels, when he said they left their first estate, not only did they leave heaven. But they left the position in which they held as angelic beings. They left the position of being in this position of a created being by God. And they were kept under darkness, reserved here for judgment. That's where they went. And even more, that's exactly where they are today. So where do we go? Where do we go from here deciphering from this, uh, fleshing this out. And this is even more why we need verse 7. See, Jude didn't want to leave it there in verse 6. He wanted to bring us to a greater place of understanding of what exactly these angels did. Remember, he's trying to bring to the people's memory. He said, I call to your remembrance about these things that's happened. When? In history. So even in verse number six, Jude is recalling to their mind a historical moment, something in history, something they're very familiar with, something that it was common and understanding to them. So he says in verse six that the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves to fornication, in like manner now, giving themselves to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. So he says, after he gives you this picture of what these angels did in verse 6, now he sets out to further explain it. He sets out to further give it to him, so he says, even as. Now, if you look what up in the Greek, it means in the same manner, just in the same manner as these angels did, so did Sodom and Gomorrah. The very thing they did, so did Sodom and Gomorrah did. And even further, he'll go on to express not only what Sodom and Gomorrah did, seeking after strange flesh but they heap down judgment upon themselves. Now, this reference to strange flesh, many will immediately take this stand all of a sudden and say, time out. Are you telling me, are you about to present to me that these angels pursued after strange physical flesh? Is that where you're headed? And then they'll present to you this argument of Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30 when the Lord was talking to his people about how they're going to be when it gets to heaven, you know, Lord, you know, if this person was married three times to whom will they be married to when they arrive in heaven and they anchor themselves in this verse, because the Lord says to them, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God. And many say, there it is. Here it is, it points it out. Angels are not given to flesh. They are not attracted to flesh. But if you read the text clearly, you'll actually see that the Bible verse put before us supports where I'm headed. Because the verse reads fully, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Jesus specifies this. They are as the angels of God in heaven, not as the angels that are upon the earth. They are as the holy beings that are standing before the throne who have no desire to leave their first estate, who have no desire to live within a corrupt nature, and then these angels here specifically that are given to us in verse 6 are supported in verse 7. What, what Jude is trying to point out is that these angels knew their specific design and they left it. And so did Sodom and Gomorrah. They knew that they were not designed to go into sodomy. They knew that they were not designed to seek after strange flesh and yet they did it anyways. This often causes us to pause here to think of ourselves for a minute like, hold on a second. Do we really believe that Jude is alluding to the fact that these angels took on flesh and became pursuant of flesh? Well, if we was just to sit back and look at Jude chapter 6, maybe we would arrive at this place that this is an impossibility. That an angel could even become flesh, but... If you if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 18. I just want to point something out for us here in Genesis eighteen. When you get to Genesis eighteen, Abraham has these heavenly visitors. You know, the scene is kind of laid out for us in the very first verse that as Abram was dwelling in his tent, it was the heat of the day and he was dwelling in there. And the Bible goes on and tells us in the second verse of there that as he lifted up his eyes and looked and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Here it is. He knows that these men are angels that come to present themselves before him, that come to speak with him. Yet, he also recognizes that they are in the physical being of a man. Even more, by time you get down to verse number 8, you're going to find out that as Abraham is entertaining these angelic men, that he made food for them. After he made food for them, they sat down and they did eat angels. We're not talking about demon possession. We're not talking about these angelic men, possessed men. I'm saying that these angelic men took on the form of men. Now, this is not strange to us. By the time we make it to Genesis 38, what do we find? Jacob wrestling with an angel of the Lord. Is he wrestling with the spirit? He is wrestling with an angel who has taken on flesh. And so even more. When we make it to Genesis chapter 19, two of these angels who have taken on flesh arrive down in Sodom and Gomorrah. And when they arrive down in Sodom and Gomorrah, they end up at Lot's house where all men who are outside of the Lot's house beating on on the door of Lot's house wanting to lie with these angelic men. Why? Because they had taken on the form of the flesh. You see, if they were in the form of the Spirit, all men from all corners would not have such a thought. But when they took on the form of the flesh, and you know, I even thought in my own mind today, these men probably were handsome men. They were angelic men. They beat at the door. One of the things that baffled me in my even reading today, that these men who stood outside of Lot's door, even after the angel of the Lord blinded them. You know, I stubbed my toe. If we're playing basketball, I sprain my back, Sprain my, the first thing I want to do is go home. But these men were so wicked, so vile, so depraved, that even after the angel of the Lord struck them blind, the text goes on to say that they didn't walk away, but every man began to fell upon the house, trying to find the door to get in after them. They were depraved, wicked, and vile. And yet the text goes on even more to say that this text even goes on more to say that these men, these angels, they took on human flesh. So where does that lead us to be today? I mean, where does that put us in a further explanation of Jude? I mean, look at Jude again in chapter 1 in verse 6. As, we, as we're working through this. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. Well, here's where the controversy, I suppose, arrives. For me, it's not controversial. Um, I just believe this is where it's actually accounting back. Remember, Jude is calling to their mind a historical event. He first draws their attention to where? To where the Israelites was wandering in the wilderness, a historical event that they would remember in their mind. He'll, in verse 7, recall their minds to another historical event. What was the historical event? That of Sodom and Gomorrah. But here again, Jude, I believe, is calling them to a a historical event that is in in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, in the first five verses there, it says, And it came to pass, when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he, is, for he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. For there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and bare children to them. The same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown, and God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I believe that when Jude is calling them back to this time in history in which the Jew or when in which the angels did fall, it's this very text. He's bringing them back. there Now, many will say, well, many will say, some will say that this text here clearly is pointing out that it was the lineage of Cain and the lineage of Seth, that the godly lineage of Seth seen the daughters of Cain, and they did, you know, come together, and that this was corrupted. And this, this was corrupted, and this is what resulted in God's judgment pouring out upon the face of the earth. I understand that everybody differs, but I view this as problematic. Problematic because this coming together that you see in verse 4, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 4, he tells you of the outcome of this. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. The result of this union coming together, it was a superhuman result. It was not natural. It was nothing that had ever been seen before. Now, I know that our minds first go to say, wait a second now. First John chapter 3 and verse 2 says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Clearly, he's speaking of some kind of human race here. Now we are the sons of God, and we are, and that's the truth. But Where I view this as problematic is that if it was the sons of Seth and the daughters of Cain, then why did God not just say that? Because it wasn't. Well, I believe even more that, you know, we have this, I guess you could say that Job offers this up for us. You know, it's good to evaluate others in history of that time, so to say. Let me give you an example. My kids use this term, awesome sauce. I don't even know what that means, right? What what are you talking about? That's dumb, you know. But if I use some kind of term to explain cool in my time, they're not going to get it, right? The way we call things cool, the way they things call cool, it's different. But when you're trying to get a thought process here, about the word of God, it's best to use the word of God to explain the word of God. So when you're looking at this term here, that there were giants in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God, this is the terminology that is brought into question. When the sons of God, now if you look at the book of Job, in Job chapter Job in, I guess, well, the first chapter, the second chapter, and in the 38th chapter, it kind of enlightens and brings our eyes to a fuller understanding. Job, they say, is the oldest written book in the Bible, but Job probably took place at some point in history around Genesis chapter 11 during the time of Abraham. But when you read the book of Job, this is what you're brought to the attention of three times. Job chapter 1 verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Again, in Job chapter 2 and verse 1. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Job chapter 38 and verse 7. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. What does that mean? What what does he keep trying to draw out? What is Job furthering to explain here? The, The angels, these sons of God that came to present themselves before the Lord continually, were the angels of the Lord. They were his created being. Matter of fact, to even further emphasize this, Up until the 4th century of the early church, it was a common understanding that Genesis chapter 6 referred to angelic host when it referred to the term sons of God. Josephus, who wrote during the time of Christ, he also referred and believed that it was a common belief that Genesis chapter 6 in the 4th verse was angelic host. Even more. Enoch, the book of Enoch. Now, I'm not trying to bring to light Enoch that it has some kind of scriptural authority. I'm not. Historical value, true. And even here in the book of Jude, did we not already see that Jude references Enoch in his book, in his writing about this coming judgment that would come upon them? Jude even tells us about this in the 14th verse. Yet they all bring our minds to this. That what happened with these angelic hosts was not natural. They went after strange flesh. Also, to bring further to light the fact in Genesis chapter 18, when these men became, when these angels became men and were before Abraham and they did eat, that was not the sin. The fact that angelic beings became man-like, flesh-like, and took on flesh. That's not the problem. Or it would have been a sin in Genesis chapter 38. And it would have been a sin in Genesis chapter 6. And it would have been a sin in Genesis chapter 18 when we see it with Abraham. Yet time after time, even in the New Testament, we are warned to be, be careful when we entertain angels unawares. The problem is not angels becoming flesh. If that was sin, we would never read about it. And if we did, it would only be in a destructive manner. But yet we read about it in both. The problem is, is when they took on flesh and went after strange flesh. See, this was not the way that God had designed them. Yet within the angelic host, it appears that they had the ability to become flesh. So they became flesh. So. What am I saying happened? I believe that whether fallen angels became flesh or were they embodied uh, the bodies of wicked men, whatever it is, they took on flesh after they had been thrown out of heaven, cast out by casted out of heaven like lightning. They impregnated women, maybe even developed some superhuman race. The explanation is offered here in Genesis 6-4 as we read it. But the corruption was so bad to this point that it drowned the whole human race. The demons did something that God did not want them to do again, so God made sure that they would not ever do it again. So he brought down judgment upon them in the same manner that he brought down judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we say to ourselves, well, this doesn't make much sense. Listen, regardless of how you take your turn away from this text, there's no denying this that whatever these angelic beings did, even if you don't see the Genesis chapter 6 relation, whatever they did, it was wicked, it was sinful, it was sexual. And even in this wicked, sinful, sexual situation, it brought down specific judgment from them that was separate from the judgment that we know that's coming for all the demonic angels, the fallen angels that still roam the face of the earth, where Satan even is today. It's a specific judgment that came upon them. But I really feel like reading this again together, Jude really does this great job, in my opinion, of tying these two Together, when he says this, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. In describing what the angels did, he uses Sodom and Gomorrah as, a popular, as, a, as an analogy or as an illustration. And so he brings them up. He says in that phrase, since they did in the same manner, since they did in the same way, in the like manner, Sodom and Gomorrah, the people did essentially the same thing the angels did. They left their normal place, their first estate, and indulged in gross immorality, went after strange flesh. Why why is this such a big deal? Because they perverted their intended design, just like the people in Sodom and Gomorrah did. They perverted their intended design. For Sodom and Gomorrah, they knew the testimony of Abraham, for the fallen angels knew the testimony for God. The Sodom and Gomorrah knew the testimony of Abraham, and the fallen angels knew the testimony of God, yet they apostatized from the truth. They turned over to strange flesh. They took the grace of God and turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. They turned the grace of God and turned it upon their flesh, Yet in like manners, the Lord bound these fallen angels into darkness. And in verse 7, in the same like manner, God rained down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And one day, it says in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20, it describes that as a lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone, that like very, um, very much like that which fell on them that day, Revelations 20 and verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Even more, Revelations chapter 21 and verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So God has given us in this epistle of Jude three dramatic, historical illustrations of how apostasy is going to come to an end it is a warning for those who are on the edge they hear the gospel and yet they turn away and yet it is even more a reminder for us to contend for the faith to contend for the truth because god will punish with everlasting fire those who defect from his truth and stay in his church and corrupt it remember what he says The same people I delivered out of Egypt, when they apostatized, when they fell into that sin, when they turned from the truth that I once gave them, I destroyed them. Even more, he says, the angels, the very angels in whom I created, who were surrounded around the throne, Those same angels who worshiped me when they fell into apostasy more than when they fell from heaven, when they left their first estate, when they went after strange flesh, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, I also judged them. And even more, Sodom and Gomorrah, they knew the testimony of Abraham. They knew the truth. They know how God had worked in Abraham's life. They had already seen how Abraham, God mightily used Abraham to bless them when he delivered their hands out of the captivity of the kings around them. And yet even more, you know what God had done in Abraham's life. And yet you turned from the truth and you turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. You heard that there was forgiveness. You heard that there was forgiveness with God. And yet you turned your heart away from it. You said I'm unbelieving. It's not true. You turned what God had and mocked it. And he said, listen, just as I judged my own angels, just as I judge my own people, and just as I judge Sodom and Gomorrah, so will I judge the apostasy and judge those people who mock my word and mock my truth in the end. Judgment's coming. God has given us examples, illustrations throughout history, how he has never failed to execute judgment upon those who are anti-truth. So it raises the stakes for us in this battle of truth. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29, how much sore the punishment. Suppose ye, in Hebrews 10:29, suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot of the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite Unto the spirit of grace, we are so much more accountable for those who know truth, for those who've heard truth, whether we are saved or unsaved. God's judgment and punishment reigns out across the universe fairly. For those who turn away from the truth and those who turn from the truth. Those who turn to the truth are called to contend for the truth. Those who hear the truth and turn away from the truth and apostatize, judgment will rain down upon them in the end. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity as always to, to study your word, to get a deeper understanding of the truth that existed exists in your word. Lord, I pray that you'll Um, calls in our hearts that bring us to a deeper place of understanding, to flesh the word of God out for ourselves, to get a place of understanding for truth in ourselves Lord, to find a place of peace in your word, but not to view the word of God as Um, not able to be understood, not to view it as a place in which uh, we don't want to dive deeper in fear of not understanding, but Lord, that we pray for your help and that we pray for your guidance and that we dive into your word, Lord, and understand and collect these great truths and fruits that you have for our growth. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.